You're listening to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. Pastor Mark and Grace Driscoll's new book, Win Your War, looks at how God creates and Satan counterfeits. There's a spiritual attack for your relationship with God, others, yourself, and the church. This is a super biblical and practical book. Order Win Your War today. All right, this is going to be a great day for you. I love you. I'm excited for you. I've been praying for you for this message for many weeks because after a few decades in pastoral ministry, here's what I know. Most, if not all of you, are experiencing spiritual warfare, and many of you, if not most of you, you're unaware of it. What we're going to do today, we're going to shine some light in that darkness, and we're going to give you the ability, by the grace of God, to win that war. What I'm talking about is the war for your identity. In our culture, you'll hear a lot about self-image, self-love, and self-esteem. The problems with this are twofold. One, it's me in reference to me. Two, it's not me in reference to God. And and the two most important things that I will establish as a thesis today that you can ever learn are these two things. Who is God and who are you? Who is God and who are you? Once you know those two things, everything else can sort itself out. Until those two things are firmly and rightly established, life doesn't make any sense. And the demonic attack is very, very discouraging. I'll, I'll give you a an illustration from uh, Grace's family history. Maybe this will make sense of where we're going today. Uh, She had a great uncle named John. Uh, He was an older man and he loved her like a granddaughter. She loved him like a grandpa. He was a very loving, gracious, kind man. And as I started dating Grace in high school, got to know Uncle John, but didn't really get to know Aunt Gladys. It's because Aunt Gladys had contracted Alzheimer's. Later in life, she reached the point where she had to be put in a care facility because she forgot who her husband was and she forgot who she was. She was in a loving relationship with an identity, but she forgot it. Now, Grandpa John, Uncle John, he was such a faithful man. What he would do, he, uh, he rented an apartment down the street from her care facility so he could be close. At that age, you don't wanna drive a lot. It was right across from the Marriott Hotel where I worked for a while. And everybody in the hotel knew him and loved him. He would come in every morning and he would order breakfast because he's a bachelor and bachelors don't cook. You know, we all know that. It's in the Bible. So he's not gonna cook. So he goes out to breakfast every morning and then he would get fresh fruit boxed up that then he would take to visit Gladys in the care facility. He would do this one, two, three times every day. And he would sit with her and she would ask questions like, now, what's your name again? Well, I'm John. Well, who are you? I'm your husband. I love you. We've been together for more than 50 years. Oh, well, who am I? These are the questions that Gladys would ask. Gladys was loved, but she forgot who loved her. Gladys' identity was largely established by that loving relationship, but she also forgot who she was. What I would submit to you is that many Christians live a life like Gladys. They forget who God is and they forget who they are. And I believe that many of you, God loves you and he's present in your life. And he feels oftentimes like John did, 
man, I'm here. And you keep forgetting who I am and who you are. The reason why we have this experience is because there really is a spiritual war for your identity. Because if you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. And if you know who you are, then you know what to do. So this will be our subject today. And we'll start in Genesis 1. And Genesis 1 doesn't just tell us what happened. Genesis tells us what always happens. It sets up patterns and cycles for your life and mine. It will start that God creates an identity for you. That's where your identity comes from. It's not self-esteem, self-love, self-image. It's God-given. That's, that's who you are. Uh, Genesis 1, God bless them. God speaks to them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them, that's male and female, have dominion over fish, birds, livestock, over all the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God saw everything that he had made. And in fact, it was very good. Now, what I wanna say is number one, God speaks to you. God made you to be a receiver of his revelation. God spoke to them, God speaks to you. I'm telling you this, God is going to speak to you today. And my assignment to you, because I love you, is to, is to ask when all is said and done today, God, what is it that you had to say to me? Right? God is a God who speaks to us because he wants relationship with us. In addition, number two, God begins with blessing. It says, God bless them. And the question is, well, did they ask for it? No. Did they deserve it? No. Well, what had they done to deserve blessing? Nothing. God starts with grace. God starts with blessing. God starts with mercy. God starts with love. What this means is God wants a grace-based relationship with you where grace is at the starting line to help you run your race, not at the end of your life. If you've done a good job, do you get rewarded? Ultimately, it starts at the beginning. God speaks to you, God blesses you. Uh, you are also created, number three, as a dependent person. God is independent. God doesn't need anyone. God doesn't need anything. God is self-sufficient and self-reliant. You and I, we were made by God. What this means is your life doesn't work unless your soul is connected to your creator. You and I need God. And, and sometimes people will say, Oh, Christianity, it's just a crutch. Well, let me tell you, if you got two broken legs, you're really happy to have a crutch, amen? I'm telling you, in this world, we're all walking with a limp and a little help is a great help. We all need help and we need God's help. In addition, being created, you were created under God and above animals. This is your place. Uh, in college, we studied anthropology. This is seeing your place in this world that God made. In more Eastern religions, they tend to pull you up or pull us up to be more like God, goddesses, the divine, right? In atheistic, naturalistic evolution, you're basically a highly evolved animal. So it drags you down closer to beasts of the field and birds of the air. What the Bible says is you're not God, right? You're not at that level, but you have God's authority and you have dominion over the animals. In addition, much of what I say today will be controversial. Um, so come back next week, it'll happen again. But uh, <laughs> he says here, he created them with two categories. What? Male and female. 
male and female. So you say, oh, a lot of people disagree with that. I know because God creates an identity for you and Satan wants you to counterfeit that identity by rejecting the identity that God gives you and then creating your own identity for yourself that is contrary to God. It's demonic. It's demonic. And it's saying, God, that's who you say I am. I disagree. I'm going to create a new separate rebellious identity for myself and I will have pride in it, which is ultimately the source of all the demonic. We'll get there in a little bit. You're welcome. In addition, God made you as his image bearer. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. God doesn't say this about animals and lower life forms, but you, you're special, you're distinguished, you're unique. You have a soul. You were made in the image and likeness of God. And what this means is that you were made to mirror. That language of image means you are to reflect. So you need to know who God is and then who you are is made to mirror so that other people would see God's character through your lifestyle. And then lastly, God says when he was done, how was it? It was very good. Not just good, like really good. Now today, everything is very bad. I don't know about you, if you looked at the world today, God looked at the world when he was done and he said, that's very good. How many of you would not choose those two words looking at the world today? How do you see the world? Very good, okay? Then you're not very sober. It's not going well. It's not going well. So when God is all said and done, this is our identity. We belong to God, we're loved by God, we're spoken to by God, we're provided for by God, we bear the image and likeness of God, we exercise the dominion of God, and it's all very good. And then something happens. And that is that Satan counterfeits an identity for God and you. Genesis 1 is where we begin. Genesis 3 is where Satan enters in. Some of you don't consider Satan the demonic, the unseen realm, it's real. The demons are just as real as people, that the invisible world is just as real as the visible world. And here, these worlds come together. Genesis 3, I'm summarizing it here. Now the serpent, that's Satan, that is a personal conscious source of evil. The serpent was more crafty, a lot of schemes and plans than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually or really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? But the serpent said to the woman, uh, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. God says, I have an identity for you. Satan shows up and says, you need to create your own. That's a counterfeit. This is how the demonic realm works. God creates, Satan counterfeits. A couple of things about this counterfeit identity. Number one, if you ask the wrong questions, you end up with the wrong answers. His question is, did God really say? He's questioning. Some questions are really accusations. Um, if somebody comes up and says, why are you so stupid? Is that a question? Not really. Some of you are like, I don't know. Well, maybe they were accurate, but nonetheless, right? If you're like, I, I, you know, why, why are you such a loser? That's not really a question. You're like, well, actually I have, you know, a number of reasons for that. It's an accusation. 
It's an accusation. When I was a young pastor, this was a long time ago, I got put in a group of young pastors and we were speaking at conferences and traveling and writing. And then I remember we were, they brought in some new people to join our team and we were sitting at dinner and they started asking questions. Like, uh, so what if people really aren't sinful? I was like, okay, okay. What if, what if Jesus really didn't die on the cross in our place for our sins? What if Jesus didn't really rise from death? I was like, hey, everything went south when the wrong question was asked. Sometimes asking questions is not innocent, it's covert and deceptive, okay? And so if, if the wrong issue is put before you, you'll end up with the wrong conclusion if you ask the wrong question. I'll give you another example. Recently I had somebody um, come up to me and say, well, my boyfriend and I wanna move in together and we're wondering where does the Bible say that's okay? Oh, it's in first and second nowhere. That's exactly where it's at. <laughs> Okay, wrong question. The question was, here's what I wanna do. Where does God say it's okay? That's the wrong question, right? All you dads of teenage girls agree with me. That's the wrong question, right? The right question is, what does God say about this? What does God say? Number two, Satan works through discontentment. Okay, we're gonna deal with this in a whole sermon in this series but God creates an identity for them. Satan comes and he causes discontent. Well, God made us under him and God made us with dominion over the animals. And Satan says, actually, you could be like God. You could do more, you could be more. You need to have the ability to actualize all of your potential. You know, God is holding you back from the fullness of what you could be and do. It's a discontentedness. Let me just say this, if you get discontent with anything that God gives you, you'll be open to demonic deception. You're discontent with God, you'll be open to false gods. You're discontent with your spouse, you'll be open to adultery. It all starts with a spirit of discontentment. Also, he tells them that, that God's word cannot be trusted, that he twists God's word. He says, uh, did God really say, don't eat from any tree that is in the garden? Okay, for those of you that know the story, is that what God said? God said, eat anything you want, except for one thing. And what he's doing here, he's not only attacking the identity of our first parents, he's also attacking the identity of our God. And what he's saying is God has a lot of rules. God is very restrictive. God is withholding from you some good things. No, he's not. This is like a parent that tells the kid, okay, eat anything you want in the kitchen, but just don't drink the bleach under the sink. Kid's like, why are you so legalistic? No, actually, this is a really good idea for you. And it is motivated by love. Trust me, 100% of children who drink bleach don't like what happens, okay? So what God says is eat of any tree that is in the garden, and there's only one that is forbidden fruit. Here's what you need to know, that God is a gracious God with a few laws. God made you to live in a grace garden with one law tree, not to live in a law garden with just one grace tree. He's not only attacking the identity of Adam and Eve, Satan here is calling into question the very words and character and identity of God. Uh, in addition, 
Here's what he ultimately tells them. You can be like who? God. If you will do something to achieve an identity apart from God. So you need to separate yourself from God and then you need to create for yourself your own identity. And if you do that, you'll be like God. And that's a demonic lie. This is the first lie. This is the lie that many believe and Mormons believe. It's all based on a demonic deception. That being said, God told them that they were made, we were made, you and I were made in his what? Image and likeness. Here's what God said, I made you like me. Satan's like, no, he didn't. You need to separate yourself, create a separate identity and show God who you really are. No, identity is received from God. It's not achieved by you. And what happens in Genesis 3 is a process and a pattern of self-destruction. Self-destruction. Adam and Eve will self-destruct. Chapter four, they have two kids. One murders the other, self-destruction. All of human history, self-destruction. When you forget who God is and you forget who you are, you start the process of self-destructing, self-destructing. Now that being said, I have good news. Some of you are like, I hope it gets better. It does, okay? Jesus also comes not only to forgive your sin, but also to establish for you an identity. Okay? And we see this in Luke chapter four, and that's where Jesus stood in the place that our first parents fell and he held strong, stand firm. And as a result, he restores the identity to you and I, if we belong to him. Uh, Jesus, full of the, the Holy Spirit. The only way to overcome unholy spirits is by the power of the Holy Spirit. No human being ever defeated demonic temptation. Only God, the Holy Spirit has more power than those beings in the unseen realm. You can be filled with the same spirit as Jesus Christ. You can walk in the same authority of the Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Chapter three, just prior to this, it was at his baptism. That's where he was baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, same place I baptized my dad and we baptized one of my sons. He was led by the spirit <clears throat> into the wilderness for 40 days. Some of you find yourself in a season where life feels like you're in a wilderness. It may be that God led you there. Just because you're in a difficult place doesn't mean you're necessarily out of God's will. Adam and Eve were cast into the wilderness. So Jesus goes back to that place and picks up that fight. He was there for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Part of demonic temptation is simply temptation. One of the schemes, the tactics of your enemy and God's adversary is just temptation. God says no, Satan says yes, you gotta decide. Am I going to take the forbidden fruit? And let me just say this, we've all got our forbidden fruit. We've all got something for us that is very tempting. So Satan comes to tempt him and he ate nothing during those days, he's fasting. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, what is that? 
That's an attack on his identity. That's an attack on his identity. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Is it a sin to turn stone into bread? If it's not a sin to turn water into wine, it's not a sin to turn stone into bread. The issue is sometimes not what you're doing, but who you're doing it with, right? So be like, it's good to go on a date with your spouse, not somebody else's spouse. It's not just what you're doing, it's who you're doing it with. When the devil, um, it is written, if then you will worship me, will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Satan shows up to attack his identity. Jesus holds firm, has victory. Satan leaves him. Does Satan leave him forever? Nope. Let me just say this, there will be times, days, seasons, moments where Satan shows up in your life and you didn't invite him, but he invited himself. And it says then, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. A couple of things on identity. Jesus' identity is from the father, okay? He says, if, here's what Satan says, if you are the son of God, For those of you that know the story, the previous chapter, Luke chapter three, Jesus was baptized. So the son of God goes into the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove and God the father speaks over Jesus, just like he spoke over you and I at creation. He spoke over Jesus and what did he say? This is my son. That's Jesus' identity as the son of God. This is my son in whom I am well. Please question, what did Jesus done? Nothing. He hadn't cast out a demon. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't preached a sermon. God starts by loving his son and being pleased with his son. And Satan shows up and says, if you are the son of God, he's questioning what God was saying. And so what Jesus does in the moment, he works from his God-given identity, not for a self-created identity. This is where almost all curriculum and education has some demonic element. Who do you think you are? Who do you want to be? Why do you think you're on the planet? What potential do you think you have? It's trying to create an identity for yourself rather than receiving an identity from God. The result is a life of just real toil and turmoil and struggle because we're trying to become someone, we're trying to become something rather than acknowledging who God already says we are. The reason that Jesus can say no to temptation is because he knows who he is. That's not me, God's my father, I'm his son. We don't do temptation and sin. Once you know who you are, you know what to do. And then what I love is Jesus made the fight, not between himself and the demonic, but between the demonic and what? The word of God. Jesus says, I think it's four times here in Luke chapter four, Satan says something, what does Jesus say? It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. He just keeps quoting the word of God. And the Bible says that this is a sword. And if you don't know how to handle your weapon, your enemy does, and you're gonna get stabbed with your own sword. 
And for some of you, you, you need to know that this really comes with its own authority. Um, it just breaks my heart, even when I hear pastors say, well, you can't just give people the Bible and tell them to study the Bible and tell them to read the Bible. They don't believe the Bible. Well, that's their problem. And the solution is not, therefore we get rid of the Bible, but we force them to argue and deal and wrestle with the word of God. I know this is true because that's how I became a Christian. I was in college, all of my classes were opposing the Bible. So I started reading it and my first thought was, there's a lot of falsehood in here. There's a lot of things I disagree with. And then God showed me that was the problem, that I was the problem, that I was trying to live and think independently of God and I needed to surrender and submit to the word of God. It's where Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. All he ever does is lie. Jesus says, you'll know the truth. The truth will what? Set you free. You're delivered. You get to go live your life as God created and intended. And then lastly, and let me say this too. Jesus memorized the scriptures just like you do. Jesus, while on the earth, he humbled himself. Philippians 2 says, and it says in Luke 2 that he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with men and God. So these are possibly verses that Jesus has quoted when he was a little boy, but he doesn't use them till he's a grown man. Here's what I'm telling you. Much of what you're learning right now is for 10 or 20 years from now. Some of you are like, I don't need to know that today. Well, you will tomorrow, so study today. Get to know God's word today. And then lastly, Jesus' victory came from his identity. What happens is that the father gives an identity to Jesus. Satan attacks the identity of Jesus, which is also attacking the identity of God. And Satan is trying to put something on him, but Jesus doesn't allow it in him. Here's, a, here's an insight. One of our pastors, uh, Jimmy Evans, in, in a season of our life some years ago, we were under lots of false accusation. It was a brutal season, if I'm honest. Things being said that are not true are based in reality. And what Pastor Jimmy told us, he said, when someone tries to put something on you, you just can't let it in you. What does he mean by that? If someone is putting an identity on you, putting it in you means now you're starting to agree with them. What Satan is trying to do here is to take the identity that God the Father put on Jesus, this is my son, take that identity off, put the identity on, you are not the son of God and ultimately you should worship me and not God. Your identity should be found in this relationship, not that relationship. You should do what I want you to do, not what he wants you to do and Jesus doesn't let that in him. Here's what I'm saying. We, we live in a world of name calling and bullying and shaming and slandering and lying. And Satan is gonna try to put it on you, but by the grace of God, don't let it in you. Don't let it in you. You are who God says you are, no matter what anyone else says. But here's the battle. This is where the war happens. God right? God and Satan are seeking to define you. And your war is to choose to live out of the identity that God gives, not the one that Satan is trying to put on you. Galatians 4, 6, I just told you, Jesus' identity was what? Son of God. That's also 
to some degree, the same identity that God declares over you. Because you are. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, you can be. The Bible gives us an identity to live up to by grace. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. If you are a Christian, that's you. If you acknowledge, I've lived my life independent of God. I've rebelled against God. I need forgiveness, restored relationship. His name is Jesus. He lived without any sin. He died in your place for your sins. And he rises not only to forgive your sin, but also reconcile your relationship and also give you an identity as son of God. Now, some, some women will hear this say, that's very offensive. It wasn't in that culture. In that culture, women couldn't vote. Women couldn't own property. Women couldn't testify in court. Only the males could. Here he's calling and saying that males and females in Christ have the same legal status, authority, and honor. This, for the women who originally heard this, they're like, we get to be in the same category as the men? Yes, in the kingdom of God, you do. In the kingdom of God, you do. And in that culture, if, if, if you were a son of someone, that meant that you got the inheritance, you had legal rights, you could demonstrate authority, that the business, the, the land was all yours. Jesus took your place and took your identity on the cross, sinner, and he, t- he put you in his place and gave you his identity on the cross, son. So I don't know if you know that. You ever seen a kid get adopted? God adopted you. He's a father who picked you. And he tells you, I made you, I love you. I have a destiny for you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to bless you. I love you. I'm so pleased to be with you. You're my kid. And then Satan comes along and he tries to define you as well. Revelation 12, the great dragon, Satan was thrown down from where? From heaven, where he had a war against God, to the earth, where the war continues against you and I. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. So the guy who shows up in Genesis chapter three, here he is. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. What that means is Satan goes where you live. People oftentimes move trying to find a place where Satan doesn't live. He, he visits everywhere. Okay, if you're new to the valley, we're the fastest growing city, fast growing county in America. We love you. We're glad to have you. Let me just tell you, Satan moved here before you did. He's also here. It doesn't matter where you go, Satan is gonna be there. He was thrown down and he's now roaming the earth. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them when? Day and night before God. Angels and other divine beings like the sons of God, in addition to demons, which are fallen angels, they don't share in the limits of our humanity, right? We live in the valley. So at some point this year, your allergies are gonna flare up. Satan doesn't have that. At some point this year, you're gonna get sick. Satan doesn't get sick. At some point, you're gonna need to go to bed because you're gonna be exhausted. Satan doesn't share the spiritual beings that God made, those who remain faithful and those who are fallen, they don't share in your limitations. Well, what this means is 
you're gonna be exhausted because the war will never end and you don't have the energy to fight. This is where some believers feel very defeated, very fatigued, very beaten down. They're just like, I can't do this anymore. I can't go anymore. That's true. What you're going to need is the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the unholy spirits. The only way you can, un you can overcome an unholy spirit is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That in your humanity, you lack the fortitude to fight constantly, day and night. And some of you know exactly what this feels like. Like every day feels like a battle, going to bed feels like a battle. And I wake up in the middle of the night and my mind is racing because I'm still in the battle. He accuses them day and night before God and they have conquered him. So the war is real, but so is the victory by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. He says, here's what you need when your identity's at war. Remember who God is and remember who you are. It's back to identity. They overcame them by the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus. Died to forgive our sins, restore our relationship and establish our identity. And also by our testimony. This is who God says I am and that's therefore who I am. Now, let me say this. And I, and I mean this with all sincerity. Satan has been talking to you and you don't even know it. Sometimes these accusations are just vague condemnations. There are people that have a sensitive, tender conscience. They do love the Lord. They wanna do what's right. And Satan will send as an accusation, some general vague sense of condemnation. I've had people say, man, I, I just, I feel so terrible. Well, what did you do? I, I don't know. I don't know, but I know, I, I know God is angry at me. I know God is unhappy with me. I know I've done something. I just, I just don't know what it is. Maybe that's demonic accusation. Because God gives conviction, Satan counterfeits with condemnation. Conviction is very specific. Hey kid, I love you. This is a problem. Let's make an adjustment. That's parenting. God's your dad. The counterfeit of conviction is condemnation. You failed, you blew it, you screwed up. Yeah, you're a wreck. Okay, well, what specifically and what do I do? There's no hope. There's just no hope. And the Bible says, I think it's Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but the accuser will show up to condemn you. If you don't know what it is, ask the Holy Spirit. And if he doesn't tell you, assume it might be a demonic accusation. And also the accusations are against your identity. That's why you need to remember who your God is and who you are. Um, let's talk about this. This is a section of God's word that I have used hundreds of times in meetings. If you don't understand that it's not just you and God, but you have an enemy who is also God's enemy, then what will happen is when you think something or you hear something, you will either have God contempt, God, why do you say this to me? Or you will have self contempt, why do I hate myself? If you don't understand the demonic, then you will lose every single time because you'll take what Satan is doing and blame it on God or blame it on you. 
which is part of the deception. Let me see if you've ever heard anything like this or thought anything like this. You are worthless. You are a failure. You are hopeless. You are disgusting. You are not a real Christian. How about these? God is sick of you. God is done with you. God is embarrassed by you. God has abandoned you. God is done with you. Therefore, you should kill yourself. Let's be honest. Anybody ever thought or heard something like this? The question then is, is it God that says these things to his children? Yes or no? No, I'm a dad. I got five kids. I'll tell you, this is not the father heart of God. Is this something you're saying to yourself? Possibly, but if you hate it and don't believe it, here's the point. Someone else might be speaking to you. Implanting thoughts, phrases, accusations. And what this is, this is establishing of your identity. How do you know that it's demonic? Um, in poker, for those of you that are poker players, um, you know, my understanding is that you're looking for your opponent to have a tell. Okay, when they twitch their eye, that means they got a bad hand and they're nervous. So that's when I double down, okay? Satan has a poker tell. Once you see it, you're understanding what he's doing. And it's speaking in the second person, you. I'll revisit this. So case study with Adam, Genesis 3, we looked at it. Satan showed up and said what? If you'll do this, then you'll be like God. You will be like God. Is that first or second person? Second, you. Satan shows up with Jesus. If you will do this, then I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. If you, second person. Some of you are not talking to yourself, but someone else is talking to you. Sometimes what we call mental health, sometimes what we call suicidal thoughts, sometimes what we call negative self-image or low self-esteem is actually demonic attack. Not all the time, but some of the time. Sometimes these identities are formed and fashioned for us at a young age. For example, we only nickname the people we love and hate the most, right? Sometimes it's a nickname that is put over you that becomes an identity for you, but not the one that God gave. Be careful in this, in family systems, especially larger families, it's almost like each child is given a role to play and that's their identity. Well, I'm the dumb one, they're the smart one. I'm the ugly one, they're the pretty one. I'm the responsible one, they're the fun one. And what happens is these identities get cemented very early, but they're very ungodly. This is why some of you have difficulty because you've changed and you're living in your identity given to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you get back with your family, the pressure is everybody back to their former role. This is why some of you struggle to be with or near family. You're like, that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. That's not who God destined me to be. But when I'm with the family, I need to assume my previous identity. 
and it's very painful and hard. She's like, yeah, I was rebellious, but I do love Jesus. And I was irresponsible, but I have grown up. And I did make some dumb decisions, but I have made some life corrections. So let's go forward to the destiny that God has for me, not the past where the enemy was attacking me. Now, let me say this as well regarding accusations. This is going to be very hard for many of you to receive, but it's life-changing. One of the accusations, the tactics of the accuser of the children of God is to have your role become your identity. Your role to become your identity. And here's the demonic deception. Does your identity ever change if you are a child of God? No. Does your role change? Yes. So what if your identity is, I'm a mommy, I'm a daddy. What happens when the kids grow up and move away? I have no purpose. Why do I exist? My life is meaningless. Uh Uh-oh, your identity was your idolatry. You're not a mommy or a daddy, you're a Christian who's a mom or a dad. You'll always be Christian and at some point, mom and dad, that role changes, right? This is where we have crises in life and where we have um, real breakdowns in our own understanding of ourselves. We go from one season to the next and we think that our identity has changed. It shouldn't. We're still sons of God. We're still sons and daughters and children of a loving father who made us for relationship so that he could bless us. Let's say your identity is, for example, in your beauty. What happens as you get older? I'll just tell you this, gravity wins. Gravity wins every time. And you can, you can go to the right surgeon and like, I need you to help me defy gravity. And, but eventually gravity wins, right? What if your identity is I'm married? Then you get divorced or I'm married and you're widowed. Your identity will carry you through all the seasons of your life If you attach your identity to your role, when your role changes, your identity is destroyed. So here's what I'm telling you, that every day the decisions that we make, it's either inviting heaven down into our life or it's pulling hell up into our life. This is true for your identity. Are you gonna believe who God says you are or are you going to become who Satan wants you to be? And behind all of this, you need to know, behind all of this, the motive of the heart of Satan and what he's trying to tempt in your heart is pride. To live independent of God is pride. To have an identity contrary to God is pride. Demons brought pride to earth, okay? Genesis 1.31, we looked, it said that when God finished his work, everything was very good. Pride did not exist on the earth. It's a foreign value, if you will, that Satan and the demonic realm brings to the earth. When Jesus comes again and is done with the earth, there won't be any more pride. And what happens is you see these two things go together. I have an identity and I'm proud of it. That's demonic. No, no, no. It's just high self-esteem, which is another word for pride, which is demonic, but we all feel this way and it's demonic. Well, our you know, community college professor 
said it was okay. Well, he's demonic, okay? Let, I'll just keep doing this, but I'm trying to make the same point. That's hell up, not heaven down. That's pride, not humility. God creates humility. Satan's counterfeit is pride. Proverbs 6.16, there are six things the Lord hates. This is kind of funny. Yes, seven that are an abomination. I don't know how this is working. He's like, all right, God has six things. He's like, seven, seven things. So seven things. What are the things that you hate? Okay, if you were gonna make a list of what you hate, what would be the first thing on your list? Here's God's list, a proud look. Number one on God's hit list and hate list is pride. Because that's the problem under all the other problems. God's list starts with pride. How many of you, you realize that your identity is based in pride? I'm smart, I'm successful, I'm beautiful, I'm funny, I'm demonic. I, you know, <laughs> it's all pride. It's based on you, not God, and your relationship with your performance, not your relationship with your creator. Ezekiel 28.2 talks a little bit more about pride. Let me just say this. Our world doesn't even hold humility as a virtue. Pride is a virtue. That's how you know you're in a demonic culture when things that are ungodly are celebrated as good. Ezekiel 28.2, the context here, there is a human political leader who is working by satanic demonic forces and powers. And so what happens in Ezekiel 28, some of the commentators say, oh, it's speaking to a human ruler. Others will say, no, it's talking to the spirit being at work behind that human ruler. And the truth is it's a both and. Just like there was a guy named Judas Iscariot that was filled with Satan. So they are working together and they're both responsible and they can't blame the other. Here it is, thus says the Lord your God, speaking to the man occupying the throne and the being behind that man, your heart is what? Proud. How's your heart? How's your heart? Is it, is it proud? Then confess that as a sin and have God give you a new heart and cleanse your heart. He'll do that for you. Your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods. What Satan is saying is God was over me and I wasn't okay with that. And God had a throne and I felt like I should have my own. And God was worshiped and I feel like I should be worshiped as a God. Let me just say it another way, selfishness. Pride manifests itself in selfishness. I'm the center, I'm most important. Everybody needs to consider me. Everybody needs to work around me. Everybody needs to accommodate me. Everybody needs to obey me. Selfishness, selfishness. It's pride, it's demonic. That's not what Satan originally as an angel was created to live out of as an identity. He was to be a worshiper, not worshiped. He was to be under authority, not in authority. He was to glorify God and not be glorified as a God. Pride. This is where saying things like I was wrong 
is very helpful. I am sorry is very helpful. That's my fault is very helpful. Because it acknowledges the need for God and grace. And it removes this pressure to be godlike and always right. Job 41, okay, this, okay, for those of you that grew up in churches that didn't talk about Satan and demons, right, just buckle your seatbelt. We're about to get a little turbulence, okay? If the mask deploys, put it on yourself and then your neighbor. Job 41, the whole context is spiritual warfare. Job's a godly man being attacked by Satan because Satan wants him to come, become proud and then to rail against God. And, and behind all of this is a named demonic spirit that is still at work in the world. So Job 41.1, and then it talks about it for the whole chapter, and I'll give you the last two verses, speaks of this demonic being named Leviathan. That's a scary name, right? Leviathan. You wonder why in so many of our Video games, board games, cultural narratives, it's serpents, it's leviathans, it's dragons, it's all stolen imagery. Leviathan, on earth, there is not his like, meaning he is the king of pride. When it comes to pride, he is the most proud. A creature without fear, doesn't even fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Leviathan is a proud demonic spirit. He shows up at parades. He makes bumper stickers. He's into marketing. Mark, that's offensive. Oh, I know. I know, I know. It's my full-time job. We're not to be proud of who we are. We're to repent of who we are and become who God says we are. He sees everything that is high, lofty, exalted. Gotta be the boss, gotta be in charge. There's a guy in the Bible, his name is Diatrophes. It only says one thing about him. He always had to be first. He is king over what? All the sons of pride. If you, let's just say this. We're all gonna be proud at some point, amen? We're all gonna blow it. But when we choose pride instead of humility, we are inviting Leviathan instead of God. And if you invite Leviathan into your life, your relationships, your circumstances, death and destruction will come. This is where I've seen a lot of wars between the proud and the proud. I've seen a lot of abuse between the proud and the humble. I've never seen a battle between the humble and the humble. That ultimately, it's a demonic spirit that empowers people with pride to declare war on one another, which is part of the great war. Three things regarding this. Number one, religious pride may be the worst pride of all. Because these are spirit beings who are spiritual, but they don't submit to the real God, but they're still spiritual. 
Sometimes religious pride, things done and said in the name of God are the most demonic and deceptive and prideful of all. Religious pride is the worst pride. Religious pride is I'm, I'm a good person. I get to sit on a seat and judge you. Jesus is like, actually, I'm the good person and I have the only seat. Number two, pride is a demonic trap. Satan will let you succeed to set you up for failure because if you succeed and become proud, then you lose. It says this in 1 Timothy 3, 6 and 7 regarding leaders in the church, they must not be a recent convert or they'll become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil and fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. What he says is don't take highly gifted people and put them in leadership too quickly. Satan has a pride trap set for them and they will step in it because their gifting is not commensurate with their character. That God can give gifting in an instant, but character is built over time. So take your time putting someone in leadership. Even if they are very gifted, they will be very tempted. And it's the demonic trap of pride. And then number three, hear me in this, Pride can never defeat the demonic. Sometimes when pastors, preachers, many of them, well-meaning, they'll get up, Satan, I rebuke you. Satan, I command you. Satan, I, don't use I. It's not you versus him. It's him versus God, amen? I mean, this, whatever war you're in, it started a long time before your mama had you. So this, you may be in the Lord's army, but ultimately, this is not ultimately your battle. This is his battle. And when you come, you don't come with your authority. Satan marks here. I'll tell you what, Satan is not intimidated by Mark. He's not like, oh no, we had the whole earth and then Mark showed up. We're doomed. Right? See, you laugh because it's me, but the same is true of you. Okay, so you're like, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> Sally's here, Tony's here, Jack is here. Yeah. Jude, Jude is a little book and the whole context in Jude is spiritual warfare. In, there's only one chapter, but verse nine says, when the archangel Michael, high ranking spirit being, only Gabriel and Michael are named spirit beings that are holy, in the whole Bible, when the Archangel Michael contending with the devil, he had a war, you're gonna have a war, did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. You're being attacked, the Lord rebuke you. You're being tempted, the Lord rebuke you. Your family's under siege, your marriage is under attack, the Lord rebuke you. This is between you and him. And I come with his authority and I need to exercise it. But sometimes Satan will let us have a victory to get us proud, which is setting us up for defeat. So humility is the key. So let me close with this. Jesus brought humility down with him. In heaven, there was only humility. Satan and demons, they counterfeited with pride. They're cast down to the earth. They bring pride with them. Now our whole planet is defined by pride and the demon spirit, Leviathan. And then Jesus comes to bring the fight to the dragon 
in humility. Philippians 2 says, do nothing from selfish ambition. You know why? Because pride is selfish. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? Humility. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of humility. The kingdom of hell is a kingdom of pride. When you choose pride, you're inviting hell up. When you choose humility, you're inviting heaven down. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, which is selfishness and pride, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, you can't be humble apart from Jesus Christ, but you can be humble if you are in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, equal all the divine attributes, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto or fought for, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant. Jesus didn't say, I sit on a throne. I don't go to a feeding trough in a manger. I like hearing angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I don't like hearing crowds shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I like streets paved with gold. I don't do carpentry. Jesus is humble. And when Jesus comes down, he brings humility with him couple of things on humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less so that you can think of God and others more. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Self-loathing and self-hatred is not humility, it's demonic pride. Some people are like, that's why I hate myself. Okay. That's not who God says you are. He says you're loved, not hated. If you're choosing a demonic identity rather than your God-given identity, you're being proud and you're telling God that he's wrong. God, I know you say I'm loved, but I hate myself. Well, that's demonic. You're disagreeing with what God is saying. And sometimes what people will do, they will just trash themselves seeking to get you to what? Flatter them, which is pride. I'm a terrible person. No, you're not. You're amazing. Really? Really? <laughs> That's not humility. That's pride. So sometimes self-loathing, self-contempt, self-harm, self-hatred is actually pride. Number three, humility is a direction we travel in, not a destination we arrive at. Nobody could say, I used to be proud. Thankfully, that's over. <laughs> I now move full time into the land of humility. It's me and Jesus. Only you can humble yourself. Circumstances can humiliate you, but only you can humble you. That's why the Bible says over and over and over, humble yourself. It doesn't say humble your spouse. It doesn't say humble your kids. It says humble yourself. Number five, if you think pride is something you used to struggle with, then you might be the most proud. How do you get out of pride into humility? Not by focusing on you, but focusing on God. 
Again, I told you at the beginning, the two most important things you'll ever learn, who is God and who are you? God is creator, he created you to be a worshiper. And worship means that God is at the center of your life, that God is the authority over your life, that what God says you believe about who he is and who you are and what's happening in this world. And so ultimately, it comes down to this, your choice is between war against God or worship of God. If I could just boil it all down, this is really the choice. How do I know this? Well, I know that every created being, angelic, demonic, human, was created to worship God. What happened in heaven, Satan and demons decided, we will choose war, not worship. They came down to the, down to the earth and they met with our first parents and said, um, why don't you join us in the war and stop the worship? And our first parents stopped worshiping God and they joined the war against God. When Jesus shows up, Satan arrives and says, I'll give you everything if you will do one thing, which is worship me. The war, my friend, is always ultimately, eventually over who you're worshiping. Is it Satan? Is it you? Is it God? So I'm gonna invite the band forward at this time. Guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna worship. So don't say, I gotta go to my car. No, you need to go to the Lord. Don't say, I gotta check my phone. Say, I gotta check my heart. We're not gonna take communion for a few minutes. I want you to think about these things. I want God the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What is he saying to you? What is he revealing to you? What is he forgiving you of? What is he unburdening you of? What lies have you believed? What pride have you fed? What deliverance does God intend? And what happens is when there is a war, ultimately it's about getting the other side to surrender. In worship, we surrender to God. And that keeps us from surrendering to Satan and demons. So I'm gonna encourage you as well, as you worship, know it's an act of war. Know that the angels and the departed saints in the presence of God, they are worshiping God, not warring against God. And when we worship, we join them. You may feel inclined to get down on your knees, which is a sign of what? Surrender and humility. Jesus, I surrender to you. This battle is yours, not mine. I also encourage you, raise your hands, which is the universal sign of what? Surrender, God, I surrender to you. I invite you down. I will live out of the identity that you give me because you love me and my life doesn't work apart from you. And then in a few moments, you're gonna partake of communion, remembering the broken body, shed blood, the forgiveness of sin, the restoration of relationship and the establishing of unshakable identity that God has for you in Christ, amen? Let me pray as the band leads us. Father God, I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. The Lord rebuke you any unclean, unholy, ungodly spirit who would be tormenting the dear people of this church and those who are joining us online today, the Lord rebuke you to Leviathan, the father of all that are proud. The Lord rebuke you to the false identities that were put on these dear people through enemies or bullies or maybe even misdirected families. 
Lord God, you say that we are sons. You say that Jesus is the son of God. We come now to declare war on everyone and everything that is against you by worshiping you in Jesus' name. 